Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. Have you ever felt like people were watching you? Uh, not in particular, although I suppose sometimes I show up on cameras and stuff in the course of going about my daily business. <laughs> so you don't think you're the target of any of this? Because I was just, I was thinking I've been feeling a little paranoid and I've, I've been, I've been wondering how would I know if I was being spied upon? Well, I think that's the whole point is you're not supposed to, right? Hmm. Or maybe you could use machine learning. Mm. Oh, let's talk mm. about that. Okay. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So today we're going to be talking about specifically spy planes. Yes, we're talking about an article that I saw in BuzzFeed. Uh, where they actually trained a machine learning algorithm to try to look for, yeah, like you said, surveillance flights over the United States by um, U.S. government aircraft. Uh, And it's kind of neat because it's just an end-to-end data analysis trying to figure out if you can identify uh, the flight paths of these surveillance aircraft. So something I didn't know is, like, if, if you were trying to covertly surveil someone, wouldn't you not file a flight plan? Right. Excellent question. So they have flight information for all the flights that happen in the United States that it's aggregated onto this website called, I think, Flight Tracker? No, Flight Radar 24. And so Flight Radar 24 is uh, this website that has information about all of the flights, and most of them are not particularly interesting. But it also includes uh, flights on there that aren't identified as surveillance flights. Whoa, I just went to this website and it's a map of my general area and there are so many planes in the air. And there's just these little little yellow plane shapes that are flying around. Yep, those are airplanes. (laughs) I guessed as much. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, yeah, and so uh, most of them are just regular uh, flights. Some of them are surveillance. And so the machine learning task here is if you have a, a, d- a data set with lots and lots of flights like this, um, and then you have a few representative examples of surveillance flights that are effectively the labeled training data for your analysis, are you able to build a machine learning algorithm that can recognize the surveillance aircraft flights? And remember, we don't actually know which ones they are in the big data set because for obvious reasons, they're not really labeled in the data set as surveillance flights. Um, and in fact, uh, law enforcement usually makes up like fake companies that they register the planes under and they, you know, they kind of go through some basic efforts to obfuscate what's going on. But there might be patterns in the flights themselves that would indicate that they're not just like your standard, say like commercial flight from New York to Chicago or whatever. So basically, if you're going to fly a flight, you need to report where your aircraft is so that way other aircrafts don't crash into it and and that kind of a thing. Uh, But you don't necessarily have to identify yourself in in a clear way. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't know a lot of the details of exactly where this data gets collected from, if it's from like radar information or if you have to ex-post file some kind of information about your flight. My guess is maybe the radar information, but I'm not exactly sure. But the the data exists and is presumably of, of good quality. And so what the folks at BuzzFeed did was they had already done some studies of 
looking at flights that they knew or very strongly suspected were surveillance flights for obvious reasons. Uh, there weren't, I think, people in law enforcement who wanted to confirm this stuff. But they had uh, effectively a labeled training set that said, here are surveillance flights and this is what they look like. And if you look at pictures of some of these maps that people have made out of the data sets, you can tell that they are actually kind of distinctive. So most of the flights you're kind of getting from point A to point B. And so there are these big arcs that go from one, one point to another. But the surveillance flights tend to be more uh, circling over a, a, a specific area. And so then they show up as kind of these very bright donut-looking or ring-looking paths in the flight data that you have because mm, you have sort of the repeated... Round and yeah. round and round and round and round and round. Exactly. So it's not crazy. Like, there's kind of this heuristic that I have personally, which is that when you're trying to tell if something is going to be modelable with a machine learning algorithm, if you can look at it with your eyes and identify it by eye, that's probably a good sign that some kind of machine learning algorithm is going to be able to pick it up. It's not a guarantee about which one or how easy it'll be to get there, but that's usually a good sign for me that uh, a machine learning algorithm is going to figure it out. So the fact that you can look at one of these maps and kind of eyeball which ones you think are anomalous looking flights is a promising sign for the ability to model this. So very concretely, the data set that they got from Flight Radar 24 contains a number of different attributes of a flight. So uh, for the airplane, it has the turning rates, uh, the speeds, the altitudes, uh, what's called a bounding box. So this is kind of a, a rectangle that's drawn around the flight path itself. And the bounding hmm. box is kind of like the minimum box that fully contains the entire flight path. So that gives you an idea sort of of like if it's a point A to point B type flight, then that's going to be like a long, thin, huge box rectangle. Yeah. But if yeah. it's uh, one of these circling flights, then it's going to look more like a square. Um, and then last is the duration of the flight. And then it, it sounds like they also have uh, some metadata about the manufacturer and model of each aircraft. And I guess there's something called a squawk code from the plane's transponders. I don't really know what this is, but I guess it's like some kind of characteristic Like a unique pattern. identifier. Yeah, I, I don't exactly understand this, but it's another piece of, of metadata. So if there's a pattern there, presumably uh, your algorithm would be able to find it maybe. Yeah, it's a discrete, it's a, a unique discrete transponder code. And so it's, it's effectively a unique identifier for an aircraft. So it's not going to be something that's, you know, human necessarily understandable, like UA, whatever, which is probably a United Airlines flight. That would be the flight number. Uh, but the squat code is going to be some sort of a, a unique identifier for that flight or for that plane. Okay, sure. Those are most of the features that they have. Yeah. And as you've been talking, I've been, um, I've been clicking around and noticing a couple things. Uh, first of all, like you said, a lot of this data is here as I'm clicking around on flightradar24.com, clicking on different planes. Uh, if it's a known flight with a path, it'll say like, this is flying from San Diego to SF, from San to SFO. It'll even give me real time information like the altitude and the ground speed. And of course, this is all data that would be uh, recorded and then analyzed maybe on mass rather than in real time, like my brain is currently doing. Um, also, I clicked around to a lot of flights and it, it took me a little while, but I eventually found one that did not have 
any identifier that I could identify as like, oh, this is a this is a flight that's going from point A to point B. It looked like it was, but interesting. Then again, I'm also a, a stupid human who's <laughs> multitasking, watching a flight for like five minutes. So I'm probably not the best uh, the best bet to detect these these flights. It's a lot better to have some sort of a algorithm do it. Sure. And so the algorithm that they actually used here was uh, a random forest, which is a decision tree based algorithm. Um, and so what a random forest will do is for, for a single decision tree, what it is is kind of a binary tree. Uh, it looks like they bucketed a lot of their variables. So instead of being continuous, like, you know, what was the latitude? It might have a latitude that was like, is it within this range or within that range? Um, and then for each attribute of the data set, what it does is when it's training, it has labeled training cases and it looks at each feature of the data set and it says, if I made a cut on this feature at a given point, and it looks at a bunch of different points, um, would that effectively make it so that the two leaves that I would get out of that split would be enriched in signal on the one side and, and uh, background on the other side? And then you kind of recursively do that down the tree so that by the time you get all the way to the bottom of the tree, you've constructed a set of basically cuts on the data that are as much as possible going to give you stuff that's pure signal in some of your leaves and pure background in some of your other leaves. And it's not going to be pure in most cases. There's going to be still a little bit of noise, but that's the rough algorithm of a decision tree. And then a random forest is let's go through that process many, many times and throw in a little bit of randomness. So we might throw in randomness with respect to exactly which cases we're using to train. We might throw in randomness with respect to exactly what features we're looking at when we're deciding how to do the splits. And so then you come up with many different decision trees and you have those decision trees vote on for each case, whether they think it's signal or background. And then the result of that voting process is the prediction that you make. So it's a pretty nice um, kind of all-purpose algorithm for a lot of these classification tasks. So sounds sounds pretty plausible uh, to me as, as a place that you would start. And that was the algorithm that they used. So they put all of the features of their training set into this random forest and then uh, built their model that way. So ultimately, how good how good did this model uh, get? So that is an interesting question because so they have performance metrics from their training data. So they say overall the estimated classification error rate was 3.7%. And in particular, they're interested in identifying the surveillance class. And uh, these are what they think are like the likely surveillance uh, aircraft. And they said that for that class, the estimated error rate was 20.6%. So implicitly what this is telling you, and it's also backed up by looking at some of the, the R output that they have uh, available on GitHub, it means that this is an imbalanced class problem. Most of the data that they have is not from surveillance aircraft, mm, um, which makes some sense. Um, so that's why there's a little bit of a, you know, depending on exactly what it is you're looking at, there's like maybe a 20% error rate, maybe a 4% error rate. Um, but the thing that makes this a little bit hard to tell then how good the algorithm is, is it looks like they didn't cross validate on their training data. 
And they acknowledge this up front that, you know, if you wanted to be a little bit more rigorous about it, you would uh, go through a cross-validation procedure in which you hold back some of your data from the training, some of your labeled data from the training process, and then use that to try to figure out how good your algorithm was. They didn't do that. They just trained the the algorithm, from what I can tell, on all of their data and then used it to predict on uh, some of the same data that it was trained on. And unfortunately, what this very often does is it gives you an overestimate of the accuracy of your model. So my suspicion is that although these performance metrics are, you know, sound pretty good, um, if you were to give it a true unknown case, it might not be quite as um, quite as accurate as it is on some of the numbers that they're that they're reporting from their training data set. So that's just a little like digression. I kind of wish that they had cross-validated it because then I would trust these numbers a lot more. But um, let's not like be too critical here because it's still pretty interesting. Okay, so we've talked about how well it did. Um, did it end up finding a lot of surveillance craft? And, and were they able to make any conclusions from that? Right. Well, conclusions, I don't, I don't really know. But when they ran it on their unlabeled data set, they did find, well, I don't know if you would call it a lot of lot of cases, but it looks like they had uh, slightly over 19,000 cases that they were trying to predict. And the algorithm predicted that 19,091 of them were not surveillance and that 69 were surveillance. Now this can be uh, a little bit subject to the threshold that you put on the classifier. So if Hmm. you can, you can twiddle around with like sort of how uh, how tough it is in trying to, uh, tough or loose, I guess, in trying to decide if something is surveillance. So this number is dependent on the threshold that they had it set at, but it looks like at, at kind of the, the default, my guess is maybe 50% threshold, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, they were seeing something like 19,000 non-surveillance aircraft and then 70 surveillance aircraft. So depending on, or 69, I should say, so depending on your definition for how much how many surveillance flights is a lot uh, hmm. this might be a lot or it it might not be i don't know hey so i'd like to report back what i have observed um in clicking around on flightradar24.com while you've been talking <laughs> uh which is i figured out where to find all of the unlabeled aircraft or at least oh. all of the aircraft without the the without the call signs uh, it's places like Santa Cruz where people want to fly around and and kind of and now, now these by uh, to be clear are probably not surveillance planes they're probably private planes like uh, one that I found I've been watching for a little while uh, this person flew from Palo Alto or uh, our airport and flew um, up and over the hills and then down along highway one which is probably a really beautiful flight and then kind of made a couple loops around Santa Cruz and now he's headed out to or she uh, I don't really know where they're going now I think they're just kind of looking at the bay but yeah it's it's that's interesting so like I guess trying to separate like international flights or or flights that are going from like San Diego to San Francisco those are probably really easy to suss out um, for a machine learning algorithm or for a human but trying to take things like oh a private owner just went for a a plane ride went for a flight 
from uh, surveillance uh, planes is actually probably a lot more difficult, um, especially because you know you don't necessarily have uh, labels that you can rely on to say whether it is a private owner or whether it's just unknown. Uh, yeah, totally. So I have a, a buddy from college who lives in the Bay Area. He lives in San Francisco and then uh, is like an amateur pilot. That's like his hobby. Um, and so he, there were like a couple times where uh, I went up flying with him. He flies out of Petaluma or Santa Rosa or something, or at least he did. And yeah, you know, you kind of go up and you putter around for a while and you do some big loops and yeah, you're not really going anywhere. And so I could imagine that like, you know, that could not really, it certainly doesn't look like a commercial flight, I'm sure. So yeah, I, I think that that's probably where like a lot of the challenge lies. Um, I don't know exactly. And of course there's a, nobody from the, the government or like law enforcement is particularly eager to to give any hints here, of course. But they have pictures on, we'll have a bunch of links here um, on lineardigressions.com to some of the code that we're talking about, some of the the write-ups that were done in BuzzFeed, and they have a lot of good pictures of some of these flights that they that they, th- they think are typical uh, surveillance patterns, because there's several different kinds of like surveillance and law enforcement flights that they were looking at. So uh, you can take a look at it and get a little bit of an idea of what these things look like. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.